0: The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Holy Thursday, April 9, 2020, on the basis of verses from John chapter 13. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. The mission was simple: to boldly go where no man has gone before. I'm not exactly what you'd call a a Star Trek fan, but if you are, you probably know what I had to look up, namely that the reason those words sound so familiar to so many people is because they were read at the beginning of every episode of the original Star Trek series, read by actor William Shatner, who played Captain James T. Kirk. But maybe what you didn't know is that those words actually go back much farther than that. In fact, those words appeared in a pamphlet, put out by the White House on March 26, 1958, a pamphlet entitled An Introduction to Outer Space. The purpose of the pamphlet was to promote the establishment of a brand-new government agency, an agency called NASA, an agency whose mission it was to help mankind achieve its natural urge to go places where no one has gone before, an agency whose crowning achievement came 11 years later when Neil Armstrong did just that, when he took that small step for man, that giant leap for mankind, when he went where no one had gone before and left a very famous footprint to prove it. We've been talking a lot about footprints these last few weeks. During the season of Lent, we've seen how Jesus was willing to leave his footprints all over every square inch of this mess of a world that we live in. How he was willing to experience everything that we experience in a world that is no longer what it is meant to be. And yet, just as mankind has this natural urge to go places where no one has gone before, so also, if Jesus came to this world to be our Savior, then it is very natural for us to assume that Jesus did more than just sort of walk a mile in our shoes, so to speak. It's natural to assume that Jesus would lead us to some place better. Not just that he would lead us away from the terrain that is so familiar to us, but to lead us to a much better place. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus came to do. That's in fact what Jesus did starting tonight. As we gather here this evening, it is not an overstatement to say that we are standing at the most pivotal moment in all of human history. On one side of this evening lies our past, on the other, our future. On one side lies that familiar terrain of the broken world that we want to leave behind, on the other lies the perfect paradise that Jesus has paved a path toward. In fact, it's very fitting for us to be gathering here in the evening. We're very much accustomed to thinking of the evening as the end of a particular day, but in Jesus' day, they would have considered the evening to be the beginning of a brand new day. And the day that began this evening is the day on which Jesus would change history forever. It's the day on which Jesus would lead us out of the familiar terrain of our broken world and lead us into brand new, completely uncharted territory. In fact, it's no surprise that as we read the accounts of the events of that evening, that's a word that keeps coming up over and over again, that word new. John's account of the evening's events focus on the new mission that Jesus has given us. In other words, if Jesus is leading us into uncharted territory, where are we going? What's the destination? What's the mission he has in mind? Well, Jesus answers those questions with these words. He says, A new command I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus wants us to love others as he has loved us. We could spend hours trying to dissect exactly what that kind of love would look like, but in these verses, John doesn't give us any elaborate, technical, dictionary definition of love. Instead, he simply describes an example of what this love looks like. He tells us that as Jesus was gathered around a table with his disciples to eat an evening meal, Jesus got up from the table. He found a towel and a basin of water and began to wash his disciples' feet. John says there, that is the epitome and the embodiment of love. Why? Well, when you first of all consider everything that Jesus had on his plate, everything that might have been on his mind, everything that was still in front of him during the next 24 hours, the fact that Jesus was still thinking of others ahead of himself. Then you add to that the fact that Jesus was thinking of the specific people he was thinking of. Those feet that he washed that evening belonged to disciples who would all abandon him during his hour of greatest need, and two of those feet belonged to Judas, who would use his feet to run to the religious leaders and turn Jesus in. Finally, you add to that the actual thing that Jesus did for them. Nothing grand and heroic, nothing that would make any sort of headline news. He washed their feet. Not only a bit disgusting, for, perhaps, from our perspective, but just a basic necessity of life in those days, something that simply needed to be done. Do you see how Jesus is leading us into completely new, uncharted territory? We're, of course, very accustomed to talking about the importance of love in our world. And yet, so often, the love that we show for others can take on a very familiar look. First, that love can often be tied to circumstances. In other words, we'll love others when we have the time, when we have the energy, when, for example, our entire world gets shut down for weeks on end. But what about when things are back to normal, when our calendars are full and our to-do lists a mile long, yet again. So often, our love can also be tied to the person that we love. Sure, we're accustomed to talking about our love being unconditional and how it has no strings attached, and and we're perfectly fine talking that way as long as the people we're talking about are our spouses and our children and our best friends, perhaps. But what about when the person in question is someone who happens to fit the definition du jour of what an unlovable person looks like? Someone who stands for the wrong thing. Someone who voted for the wrong candidate. Someone who isn't practicing social distancing the way that we would want them to. Finally, often our love is tied to how much recognition and respect it will bring to us. We look for those big, grand gestures, those things that are going to make a difference, those things that make for the perfect photo ops or viral videos. But what about those daily, basic necessities? A crying child needs to be changed. A student who is doing distance learning needs a a little bit more of a parent's time and maybe a lot more of their patience. A neighbor who lives alone and is perhaps feeling isolated would really benefit from a phone call. Do you see how, how Jesus is leading us into uncharted territory? Thankfully, that's not the only thing that was new that evening. If Jesus is leading us into uncharted territory, how do you suppose we're going to get there? Well, anytime there is a place where no one has gone before, chances are it's because the power to get there doesn't actually exist. Thankfully, as as John tells us about what Jesus did that evening, he also wants to tell us about why Jesus did it. John tells us this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. We'd probably think of those as reasons why Jesus wouldn't do what he did. I mean, washing someone's feet, that's usually reserved for the servants. But John doesn't tell us that Jesus did what he did in spite of what he knew. John tells us that Jesus did what he did because of what he knew. Jesus knew who he was, he knew what he had, and he knew where he was going which meant that as he looked at the people sitting around the table, he realized that there was nothing that he lacked, nothing at all that he needed from them, which meant that he was free to live for them. This, too, is completely new, uncharted territory. See, there's a a reason why our love so often looks the familiar ways that I described before. It's because so often our love is motivated not by what we have, but instead by what we feel as though we lack. The approval, the validation, the worth that we are seeking, maybe from God, maybe from other people, maybe just from ourselves. If that approval is in any way in question, if it is at all in doubt, then our love for others will only be valuable insofar as it helps us achieve that approval. In other words, only if and when it is useful to us. And of course it won't be useful when we have a million other things on our plate. Of course it won't be useful when the person in question fits the definition of being unlovable. Of course it won't be useful when it's not going to bring us any amount of recognition or praise whatsoever. Thankfully, Jesus wants to take the very thing that drove him and he wants it to drive us as well. He wants to take that power and give it to us as a free gift. You see, that that line of thinking where God's approval is based on our performance, that line of thinking characterized life under what the Bible describes as the old covenant. A covenant is simply an agreement between two parties. It's sort of like a contract. And the Old Covenant was a two-sided contract. There were obligations that were placed on both parties. God said, you do this, I'll do that. Under the Old Covenant, God's favor and his blessings were tied to the people's performance, which meant that God's favor and blessings were always in doubt. But this is the night when Jesus came to establish the New Covenant. And the New Covenant was a one-sided agreement. In the new covenant, God simply promises and declares what he is going to do without placing any obligation on the people for whom he is going to do it. In fact, in that way, the new covenant is a lot like a will. It's also like a will in the sense that the terms of this new covenant are put into effect when the person who establishes the will dies. And of course, that happened when when Jesus died. That day Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. That day when Jesus won forgiveness and salvation for the whole world. That day means that you and I can also know with absolute certainty who we are, what we have, and where we are going. As a result, that day also means, and the new covenant also means, that we can look at the people who are around us and realize that there's absolutely nothing we lack, absolutely nothing that we still need from them That new covenant sets us free to live for them. In fact, you might say that this new covenant is sort of like an engine inside of us, that when it is humming on all cylinders, it drives us to be able to follow where Jesus leads and love as he has loved us. And yet, just like all engines do, this engine needs fuel. And that brings us to the, the final thing that is new about this evening. It's actually the the one new thing that John doesn't mention in his account of the evening's events, probably because by the time John wrote his account, the other three accounts, the other three Gospels already existed. But that new thing that Jesus established this evening is a new meal, the new meal that we refer to as Holy Communion. And Holy Communion is nothing more than the vehicle that Jesus uses to deliver the goods of the new covenant directly to us. That forgiveness and salvation that Jesus won on the cross, it came at a very steep price. His body given into death. His blood shed in death. And in Holy Communion, Jesus takes those precious gifts and he packages them up in little bite-sized doses. He takes the blessings of forgiveness and salvation that were won on a cross so far away and so long ago and he brings them right to our doorstep. He takes that price that he paid for the whole world, and he puts it right in our hands and says to us the best words we could possibly hear him say, for you. Yes, for the whole wide world, but here for you. That new meal is an inexhaustible supply of the blessings of the new covenant, which means that that new meal is an inexhaustible supply of the fuel that we need to follow Jesus' command. So a new command to love others as he has loved us, a new covenant that drives our ability to follow the new command, and then a new meal that provides fuel and powers that new covenant. In every way, Jesus is leading us this evening into new, uncharted territory. In fact, he's sort of establishing a new rhythm and a new pattern for the life of his people, a pattern that he wanted to continue until his return. The pattern of of God's people gathering together to receive the new meal and with it the blessings of that new covenant and then God's people scattering to carry out Jesus' new command. The pattern of gathering together to be fueled by Jesus' love for us and then scattering to carry out his mission of showing love for one another. On and on it goes, that rhythm and that pattern, until the day of Jesus' return. Except, of course, when we enter into uncharted territory of another type. When we experience something that we've never experienced and something we'll hopefully never have to experience again when we enter into that uncharted territory of being unable to gather together. It certainly isn't ideal, certainly on Holy Thursday. And yet, by God's grace and with his blessing, it will only be temporary. And of course, in the meantime, we're very thankful that in all of these other ways, the gospel can still continue to get out. And yet, it is certainly my prayer that there would be another blessing that results from this uncharted territory of being able to gather together. And that is that it would lead us to desire all the more to, be, to do so once we're able to do so once again. That we would hunger all the more for this new meal that Jesus has provided. That we would long all the more to be refueled by the love that he has for us so that we can once again go out into the world to carry out what is ultimately his mission to show our world a love unlike any it has ever seen before amen